Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Dairy Pod with me, Rory McDonald. With many dairy farms around the country currently preparing for autumn calving, we thought it would be good to discuss calf rearing and management on this podcast. On a recent trip to Australia, I caught up with Dr. Bob James, a former dairy professor at Virginia Tech in the USA, who currently consults to a number of Australian dairy farmers as well. Bob is a leading expert on all things calves and calf rearing, having had decades of experience in both research and extension in the US. I started off by asking Bob his views, based on his experience in research, on the best approach to calf rearing. I think one of the first things that I say is we really have to look at the resources where we are. And and even within Australia, they differ between Tasmania and and South Australia, New South Wales, wherever. So there's some, some, some differences there, so you want to optimize that. I think probably first you look at the calf. Yeah. And I think one of the big challenges we've had with the calves is that we need to be feeding more milk to those calves early on. And uh, so because they're not going to eat much dry feed. Yeah. And we really need that that source of nutrition. And quite frankly, four liters of milk barely meets that animal's requirements for maintenance, let alone getting very much growth from these calves. So I like to see investing more early on for that calf and then wean them a bit sooner. You know, I I recommend weaning at eight weeks when we have a better grown calf. uh, And and that's something that I I really very strongly recommend to folks. Okay, yeah. So, you know, as I said earlier, traditionally you might feed around that four liters and maybe historically you might give a context of where that originally came from and what the reasons why <laughs> that, why yeah, people do that. Like, that's, that's a really good, and when you start looking at the research, uh, you have a hard time figuring out. I think the idea was several. First of all, if we don't feed them very much, and in the U.S. we used to feed a 20% fat, 20% protein milk replacer, uh, or four quarts or four liters of milk. And the idea was let's make, the, let's make them hungry so that they want to yeah. eat dry feed sooner so we can wean them sooner. They have less diarrhea. It takes less labor to feed them, and, uh, and it's cheaper. And is that really the best thing for the calf? Yeah. When, when we think about this, how do you raise a beef cow, beef calf? How do you raise a foal, a lamb? Our own babies. Yeah, you don't follow that mindset. I don't think so. Exactly. Yeah, like I mean, if you look at a beef calf, they could drink eight, ten liters a day. um, You know, pretty much from birth or shortly after it. And there would be many dairy farms that would be uh, would be doing that. um, You know, when they're rearing their own calves in, in that space. And I guess. You're possibly not advocating that we go straight to those high levels, no. but if you could give a figure, well, what, it, what would you look Yeah, for? and I think one of the big challenges you have here, particularly on the seasonal herds, you have so many calves born in such a short period of time, quite frankly, it's just really hard labor-wise to, to, to get that done. And uh, so a lot of folks um, will feed four liters, and but maybe they feed it once a day. And, and I know why they do it. And uh, there's reasons for that. Labor but, savings. Exactly. Yeah, but mostly labor savings. And it's just really tough on that calf because that milk's going to be gone within about eight hours. And then that calf is going to have to mobilize fat and protein from their body to keep themselves warm overnight. And it, it really has a, a pretty negative impact on the calf. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I suppose in the industry, a lot of people would call this kind of higher levels of feeding accelerated growth. But... 
you probably you wouldn't even describe it yeah, as Yeah, and what I like to say is let's talk about biologically normal growth. You mentioned about the, the beef calves sucking on the cow. And uh, the thing is, those beef calves are going to nurse multiple times with that cow. The younger, the more they nurse, the older, the less. And so they're, yeah, that beef calf, that Angus calf is drinking at the end of the, the sixth week about 10 liters. And it's hard to get a calf to drink four liters in one meal uh, when they're young. And so yeah. that, it just, from a capacity standpoint, it, it's kind of tough on the calf. Yeah, and how, uh, obviously then, you know, there's been a lot of science done in this area and there are negative effects, I guess, or, or, or maybe more, more, more specifically, uh, greater positive effects of, of feeding extra milk at birth uh, yep. um, or in the pre-weaning period. Could you go through some of those? Like, what yeah. are some of the benefits of it? And I think that the biggest thing, and several studies have been done, and we find that we feed calves more early on, feed them at least twice a day and, and preferably more. We have farms in the U.S., bigger farms that are feeding three times a day. And uh, for one thing, the calf's going to be healthier. They have more nutrients and they're able to, to fight off diseases a whole lot Stronger better. Stronger immune system. Yeah, we're going to see less respiratory disease on these calves. Uh, uh, and so I think that's one of the big, the big advantages. Um, ultimately, what we're finding out, how we treat this calf in the first six to eight weeks has a big impact on how how good they're going to be as cows yeah uh they're gonna they usually milk more so if we think about 500 grams more gain as a during the pre-weaning period means probably 500 liters of milk during the first lactation so when you say 500 grams more gain there now is that over you know is on a daily that's not on a daily basis yeah, on a it? daily basis okay, 500 grams a day average quite daily a gain. Yeah, yeah yeah well and you when you think of it you know, Holstein calves, pretty easy for them to be, if we feed them right, to be them to be gaining almost a kilo a day by the third or fourth week. Yeah, yeah. Now, the challenge is that's hard to do at twice a day feeding. It's impossible to do at once a day feeding. And again, I don't, I don't want to make excuses, but I realize the challenges in some of our grazing dairies. Yeah. Now, if we fed in our system in the U.S. with calves and in individual pens and we fed them four liters and we fed them once a day, we would have tremendous amounts of, of illness in calves. And problems, yeah. Now, the advantage in Australia, particularly in some farms where they might be outside and they've got sunshine, they've got a whole lot better environment and that, that makes it a whole lot more passable here than it, than it might be in the States. Okay, yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned about the, the higher um, milk yields when those calves grow up to be right. you know, two-year-old heifers and mature cows. Yep. Um, and there's actually some science that really does yep. back that up, isn't there? Yep. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I tell two things. First of all, we have lower incidence of respiratory disease. So we know any calf that's been treated two or more times for respiratory has a significantly lower herd life. Yeah. Uh, number two is we, we're, we're stimulating, believe it or not, memory development. That memory gland in the newborn calf is about the size of a, of a bean. And by the time that they, they're weaned, it's probably the size of a, a, maybe a large plum. And it grows explosively. And that really sets kind of the framework for memory growth, believe it or not. 
So you can really pre-program the calf yeah. almost in that pre-weaning period for what it's going to do maybe two, three, five years down yeah. the track as, a, as an adult calf. The other thing we're finding out is we turn on some genes for higher milk production. It's called epigenetics. Okay. And, so, and that's in a real early phase of research right now. But there's some real reasons. Now, one of the, the, the factors that can influence how much of that we see is how intensively we manage the cow and uh, now in grazing dairies where that cow is on pasture and they're calving seasonally and we have lots of uh, grass they're going to milk more um, if we have more marginal pasture or more marginal feeding program we're not going to achieve as much of that of that benefit okay yeah and um i guess um, um you know it sounds like there's a lot of good benefits there uh, in terms of um, um you know higher production uh, you know as, a, as adult cows but even what about things like uh, the welfare and the behavioral aspects yeah. of the calves Is and that's and that's interesting you know because a lot of the calves in the u.s are are raised in individual stalls yeah of course quite different here in australia yeah and and surprisingly the research tells us that this animal is a is a herd animal and we've done research to show that if we put calves in groups of two in other words, they're individually maybe for two or three weeks, and then we let them stay with a buddy. They eat dry feed sooner, they grow a little bit better. Now that's provided that we have good environment, good colostrum intake, and, uh, uh, and we actually have a little bit better performance, and they, they adjust to weaning a whole lot better if they've been housed together with a buddy beforehand. Okay, yeah. So there's obviously welfare, uh, you know, th 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 those are welfare benefits. And even when we think about things like social license yep. and, you know, the issues that are challenges that, that modern dairy farmers face, there could be some, some benefits there as well. Um, um, one thing that's probably interesting, a lot of farmers might ask this question in an Australian context, um, you know, much of the research in America is done, as you mentioned, on individually housed calves, but many of the calves in Australia would be fed in a group basis. Right. Um, so if you were to feed maybe, you know, six, I'm guessing six, seven litres a day, or twice a day, um, is there any risks to that in terms of, um, you know, group feeding of a bunch of calves, say, in, in springtime on a typical Australian farm? Yeah, and I think part of it's how well you manage it. Um, there's risks in anything that we do, but with group house calves, with, with the bar feeders or the mob feeders or those with, you know, on wheels, somebody's got to be there to kind of, to monitor the situation and yeah. make sure that the, the more submissive calves uh, get their fair share of milk. And the other thing is that if we're only feeding four liters of milk a day uh, to these calves once a day, they want to suck each other because yeah. they're just not satisfied. And that's probably one of the bigger risks involved in, in feeding four liters and, and feeding them in a group. Uh, when we feed calves, for instance, on an automatic feeder or you, you're providing in a mob-fed calf six to eight liters, they get satisfied and they don't feel the need to keep sucking. Yeah, and so that eliminates some of that risk of, of calves of sucking disease. each other. Uh, you know, you can yep. pick up diseases. That's what they call cross suckling, I think. Yeah, right? well, yeah. not only disease, but just they'll suck on each other's udder, and we can wind up with some some problems there. Okay, yeah, yeah, and so you know, to to kind of finalize on that, then. Um, to, you know, target pre-weaning growth rates, you, you mentioned a kilogram a day is possible. I'd suggest on many farms in Australia, probably, you know, you're probably closer to 500 grams or a half a kilogram a day yeah. on average in that pre-weaning period. Um, 
even is there a compromise there or what, what, what would you suggest people well, target in that area then? you know you look at dublin birth weight so yeah. if we talk about doubling birth weight i think for jerseys that's going to be you know 350 400 grams a day for the holsteins quite frankly it's only 700 grams a day and we have farms in the u.s that are doing a kilo a day and, and i'm not sure that there's a real economic benefit to that yeah. I want the calves growing well enough so that they're healthy and we're not having a lot of illness. Yeah. So, and when we push them a little harder, uh, I think that there's a risk. There's a risk on either either extreme there. Yeah, exactly. So you're you're talking about say your 40 kilogram calf that's born right. being 80 kilos or or yep. thereabouts yep. at 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 the weaning stage. And that probably brings us on to another useful question. Like, what would you say is the correct age to wean your calves at? Because it's possible to achieve the 80 kilograms. Um, of of a weaning stage, if you leave them long enough and you know feed them sure. up for twelve weeks or more, right. which some farmers probably do. Yep. So, um, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Well, and my my uh, my goals on feeding calves is I'd like them to start gaining weight the second, third, and fourth week, which means I'd rather feed more milk to the babies, and then long about if they're really growing very well, the fourth or fifth week. Um, they're growing bigger, they're bigger, and not increasing the milk, but, but trying to get them into to dry feed. So let's feed more milk sooner and get them weaned. My goal is to wean them by eight weeks. Okay, so 56. Yeah, 56, that's very achievable. 60 days maybe, yeah. If I'm feeding them for 10 to 12 weeks, those calves are already drinking or eating a fair, starting to eat a fair amount of grain, and the returns we get from that additional milk are, are not gonna be as great as if we feed it to them younger. Yeah. And that's the key point there. And I guess there's a rule of thumb that you do here out there in the industry that they like to see calves eating a kilogram a day of, yep. of concentrate before they're weaned. Uh, yep. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. In fact, I've seen calves where we fed them eight liters and they're eating more than a kilo a day at, at eight weeks okay. because they're bigger and a little bit more um, aggressive, feeders. aggressive feeders. Yep. In fact, it was interesting on a farm here in Australia where we're feeding uh, eight liters a day. And in fact, I'll, I'll tell you that they were eating, some of these calves were eating well in excess of 15 liters a day, but I had a pen of calves, they're six week old, and they were chewing their cud. And I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah. That's, that's pretty remarkable. And yeah, yeah. so just because they're a lot more aggressive and I think a healthier calf. So, you know, some of the kind of arguments against feeding calves too much milk at this stage is that it kind of delays rumen development by, you know, you know, the argument that if they're drinking seven or eight liters and they're not hungry in those first few weeks, yeah. well, then they're not going to be as interested in eating grain as quickly as if they were drinking a less amount of milk. And therefore, it's going to take longer for the rumen to develop. Um, yeah. What was your response to those kind of... Well, and I've done the research and I've, I've sacrificed calves at eight weeks and I can show you the rumen development that we have on calves that have been fed liberally uh, eight liters a day. And, and as I said, uh, I've seen the calves on farms that are ruminating. I just gave a talk this morning and I have a video that I show and, and it's actually a five week old calf and we can watch it chewing its cud, it swallows and then regurgitates the other one back up. And, and uh, because we got them off to a stronger start early and we didn't keep increasing the milk, but we let we held that constant so that they want more nutrition, they're going to get it from the grain. Yeah. So I think we're substituting later milk and putting it earlier in that calf's life to, to make them a lot more vigorous animal. 
Yeah, I see. And uh, I think that, you know, it sounds like you're selling a, um, you know, a good message there in terms of the improvements in, in uh, lifetime milk production for, for these calves and improvements in, in, um, in welfare and, and behavior and also um, those, those other aspects that we just spoke about there. Um, something that I, could, I would ask, if you had a calf, a calf that was fed the kind of more traditional method and maybe the lower amounts of grain of milk um, in the pre-weaning period, can you, can you compensate for undergrowth, say one that's only doing three or 400 uh, grams per day? Can you compensate for that later in a calf's life, maybe when they're a few months older? Yeah, and, and it was interesting. When I first started my career, I did a lot of research on that. And that was the idea that, that well, we, we really don't need to worry about this early on and because we can make up for it later on. And I think the problem is that the one risk is that we have a lot greater risk of disease uh, in those calves. And if they have some problems with respiratory, we've permanently injured those animals. Uh, number two is, no, we can't. And you look at all the classical research that's out there with, with pigs, with land, I mean, with, with sheep, with horses, with beef cattle, and we actually kind of, we've, we've lost that opportunity. There is no more efficient game in that animal's life than, than, when, it's on milk, than yeah. when it's on milk. They will, they will give you more grams of gain per gram of feed than any, any other time yeah. in that calf's life. And, you know, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really So, because a lot of people will argue you know, I can hear lots of Australian farmers yeah. saying, oh, it's very expensive to go down this road mm-hmm. of, drink, of, of, of sacrificing extra litres out, out of the vat or wherever they come from sure. um, to, to give them to the cows. And it's so expensive. But if you were to cost it out on a kilogram of, um, as you said, their efficiency, feed efficiency yeah. or, or, or feed conversion, it probably is actually cheaper than trying to put that weight on at a later stage in the calves. Well, I think it's how you look at, at cost. If we look at cost per day, absolutely the cheapest thing, don't feed them. Just feed them four liters and that's very inexpensive. But if we look at what it costs per kilogram of gain or per gram of gain, oh my goodness, feeding four liters is tremendously expensive. Yeah. You know, it's like running your car during a hot day to keep it warm, I mean, to keep it cool, your mileage is not gonna be very good. Calves have requirements for maintenance and for growth. If we feed four liters, we have just enough to maintain them. And there's not much left there to support growth. growth. And so, yeah, our efficiency becomes very expensive. Number two is the pre-weaning period is only two months long. And so, yes, it's very expensive per day, but that really sets them up for a whole lot more efficient growth later on in their life. If you want to cut costs... You make sure you get that animal bred on time and reduce the amount of time that their large heifers gobbling down lots of feed and not actually giving you any or lots of pasture yeah exactly because you know you're you're effectively what you're doing is you're just banking some early value there by feeding them a bit more um higher rates in that pre-weaning period that you probably don't have to recover you know a year down the track or, or whatever um and of course as you said as you rightly said you know the difference between you know, one of those heifers, you know, delayed onset of puberty, maybe because they weren't fed as well, uh, is much more costly if you have to wait for 24 months, um, a calf that you expect, a heifer you expect to have at 24 months and she goes out to 30 months or 36 months. That's a huge extra cost. I think especially with a grazing system, you're running on a very, very tight margin as to when that heifer needs to calve and get in there. Reproductive management is especially important on these animals. 
Yeah. <clears throat> um, just a question, Bob, on uh, the type of concentrate that you know farmers might feed to calves. Is have you any ideas on that? Like, is there particular uh, specifications that are important to look at there? <clears throat> the older I become, the less confident I become. <clears throat> People said, "Oh, it must be a textured feed," and others say, "Oh, pellets are fine." So my first question is, do they eat it? Yeah. And there's there's a lot out there that we don't know about palatability. Uh, the advantages of a pellet is that um, it tends to be very consistent. If it's a good pellet, if more we don't uniform. Have a lot of, don't have a lot of fines. That every bite's the same. If it's a textured feed, and and probably more of the feeds in the U.S. are textured. They have cracked corn, whole corn, maybe some oats, uh, maybe a little bit of chopped forage in there, <clears throat> and. Uh, and we see on some places where they really make it very inexpensive, but it may not be very palatable. So my first question to the farm, <coughs> excuse me, is do they eat it? Yeah. And I want to know, you mentioned the figure of a kilogram of gain, a kilogram of starter intake at, you know, at weaning, and that's my measure. And yeah. some of that is, is kind of trial and error, but that's the most important indicator of, of whether that starter is more desired. Starch levels can be anywhere from... 25 to 40 percent, and I've seen success there. Protein is important. Remember, milk on a powder basis will run about 26 to, to maybe as high as 30 percent protein. Yeah. Uh, fat runs somewhere, you know, and depending on the breed, but again, 26 to, and you know, well into maybe 34 percent. So I look at protein, <clears throat> and probably 18 percent protein is the bottom of that of that level. And above that, we're just managing risk a little bit better. <clears throat> I see, yeah. Um, and then, I guess, um, um, another question that uh, uh, a lot of farmers might be doing, this is probably a bit more niche market because not everyone would have <clears throat> this, but would be um, the use of automatic feeders for calves. Yeah. I guess there's a lot of benefits in that in terms of being able to stagger the feed pattern throughout the day instead of just feeding. And, of course, you can also be sure that every calf gets the exact amount instead of a group house situation where right. the stronger calves might eat, drink more than the weaker calves. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, <clears throat> excuse me, I've worked a lot with the automatic calf feeders and <clears throat> one of the big advantages is those calves can be, they can be just like nursing mom. And you'll see the younger ones may nurse five, six, seven times a day. As they get older, they, they eat um, less frequent, larger meals. <clears throat> There's a lot of data that we have on that, but I, I think from a, a performance and a welfare basis. Uh, there's some real advantages to the automatic calf feeders. Now the downside is cost. Yeah, of course. Uh, and a lot of people think, well, there's tremendous labor savings. And and what I will say is, is you have a person, and you must have a person, who is who really loves feeding calves, who might be a little bit of a um, have some mechanical abilities that. The auto feeders we have now are very, very reliable. I've seen them 15 years old and still working fine. But <clears throat> you have to pay attention to that and the sanitation of that. Really good colostrum feeding, good housing, and we can get some great, you know, some, some great yeah. performance of calves. We could also get some pretty poor. It's yeah, not a machine so. you can put out there and just depend upon it to feed the calves. So it's we not really a labor saving. <clears throat> Well, I don't. I think it's going to save you minutes of labor, but you might pay a good person more to feed it. So your your dollar spending might be the same, 
but I think you have a, a good person taking care and they're taking care of calves rather than washing buckets and bottles. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I guess um, another question that might be uh, of interest, uh, Bob, would be the weaning period of calves. Like, uh, what would you say is the, the correct uh, protocol or way to wean calves off, I guess, you know, to minimize stress and, and, and to avoid that kind of stunting effect or stalling effect in growth rates, you know, a week or two after weaning? That a lot well, of let's kind of start where we were with the auto feeder and work our ways backwards, okay? <clears throat> so the auto feeder does it just like mom would, and that every day we, we drop that calf down a little bit. And so we've accomplished two things. From a nutritional perspective, that the change has been much more gradual. The other thing, this calf has already been in a group and been with her buddies, so we've eliminated that social aspect of it. <clears throat> so now we go to the individual calf that's been in an individual pen for eight or 12 weeks, and you know, all of a sudden we put it in a group, and that's a big stress on that calf. You know, they didn't even know there's anybody else out there, and, and surprisingly, that's a big stress. So most people wean by going from twice a day to once a day. <clears throat> We're finding out that, you know, that's a big stress on that calf. And, and one of the places that we've been studying here lately is what happened with the bacteria in the, in the gut of that calf. And there's huge changes when we do that abruptly. Twice a day to once a day. Just yeah. So yep. you shouldn't do that. You, you yep. would advocate against that. Then well, over a couple again, of days. we have to look at what's reasonable and practical on the farm. And for a lot of places, that's the only way that they can do it. Just realize that that's a stress. Now, we have farms that are going to once a day at two weeks. And that's really, really tough on that animal, especially a real young animal. And so I think we're really setting ourselves up for, for some challenges. And I know people do it. And they believe they're successful because I think that's the way... We've gotten used to the performance of those calves. And, and I do recognize this on a, on a seasonal dairy where we've got lots of calves and where there's just so many hours in the day. But we gotta, we gotta be a little bit um, imaginative and, and figuring out ways where we can do it better. Yeah. We yeah. know what insanity is and that's uh, doing the same thing and expecting a different results. And, so is and, there a minimum period of days over which you shouldn't well, go below I think, for weaning? You know, Kind of the old, the standard one has been seven days, you know, where we do weaning on the automatic calf feeders. I do it 10 to 14 days. Okay. And boy, they adjust to groups. I mean, they adjust to weaning really well. They'll just go through that and just keep growing. Yeah, um, yeah. which is ultimately what you want. So you're yeah. a little bit of extra effort could pay dividends yeah. there as well. The yeah. more severe you make it, the tougher it is on the calf. Yeah, that makes perfect sense really when you think about it. Um, what about... Uh, the use of antibiotic milk or, mm. or milk that isn't, um, you know, going to be uh, don't sure. the bucket milk, I guess, <coughs> that you see. Yeah. Um, is it a good thing to feed that to calves that are going to be um, heifers when they and hopefully into the herd in, in a couple of years' time in the future? Or is there any risks or negative effect uh, well, associated with that? As I've said, there's risks in everything. And, and in the U.S., our bigger dairies, yes, they feed that milk to calves. So it depends on the level of antibiotics. Right now, it's still legal to do that. Um, we have to think about what that milk is and what it is from the time it left the teeth of that cow until it reaches the calf's mouth. We have to develop a mindset, even if it's antibiotic milk, that we must treat that just like the milk that we ship uh, to, from the dairy. And I see farms where they take that milk in the morning 
it sits in a tub, an open tub, and, and it's fed in the afternoon and it's unrefrigerated. Yeah. So my comment to those folks, and I'm going to be very severe about this, is take a glass and I want you to drink that milk. In the afternoon it, and, and see what see, it's like. Yeah, and <laughs> see what it does to you. And, and you might be uh, visiting the porcelain god uh, a little, <laughs> uh, rather rapidly. But it, it's ser- seriously, it, it's just and people say, oh, that's good bacteria growing. No, it's not. And there's a lot of risks. Yeah. Now, you can do it. And in the U.S. we do it, but we pasteurize it. Yeah. And because, what about antibiotic resistance into the future? Well, you know, I think that the impact of that is there. It's kind and of not well clearly understood yet, really. No, and I think that, I'll be real honest, I think quite frankly, within five to ten years it won't be legal to, to do that because that's an off-label use of antibiotics. I'm going to be very honest. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the evidence for that being a major factor is pretty small, but I think because the major ones are just the overuse of oral antibiotics, injectable antibiotics, I think there's our Or incorrect abuse. use as well. Yeah, incorrect. And properly I think, but that's a risk. And I think, you know, if we talk to the consumer and say, well, this is what we're feeding calves. And uh, I don't think that's something that we can defend very well. In the U.S., we pasteurize it because there are risks of mycoplasma, of yonis, of other diseases that we can pass on to other calves by feeding waste milk if it hasn't been pasteurized. Yeah. And that's another expense. And it's not a cheap cost of, of running a pasteurizer system. Of course, but I guess you're protecting yourself from yeah. bigger costs down the track. And it, and, and it costs you money to produce. That milk's not free. Granted, we'd have to throw it away, and that's they, we hate to do that. But it costs us money to do that. And I'd like to think our goal is... I want to minimize that antibiotic milk. Exactly. I think the long, the, the obvious solution is to have yep. as little amount of that antibiotic yep. milk as possible. And that, yep. of course, goes into other aspects of but the milk replacer, A good milk replacer, I open that bag, and I know the protein, I know the fat, and if I mix it correctly, I know what's being fed to the calf. And that milk is very, very, very low in bacteria. Um, and it's, of course, without antibiotics. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about fortified uh, milk or, or you, a, a adding extra yep. milk to kind of make it more higher level of solids? As some farmers have shown some interest in that. Are there yeah. some risks attached to that? Or yeah, is... and, you, and it's kind of interesting. In, in uh, Australia, a lot of your milk replacers are based on skim. And so, and, and I would wish that most of our milk replacers in the U.S. are ours are more whey-based. Our milk tends to have a higher content of ash. Our, con- our milk replacers, um, if we raise the level of solids too high, we, we create something called osmotic diarrhea. We you might call it nutritional scours. And yeah. so, you know, milk is about 13% solids. We can probably go to 15 pretty safely. With uh, the milk replacers that we have here and adding it, I know people go higher than that and are successful now the important thing is you have to have good water yeah because if that calf can can drink have a good supply of clean water um, uh, without high levels of bacteria or minerals uh, that doesn't mean river water that means you know good you drink so that worth- water just as well as they would yeah and that's another one of my indicators i you know i'm going to reach down there and take a bunch of that water and that you're using to 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 feed the calves and it better be good enough for you to drink. Yeah. And there's where we run into problems with higher solids. Yeah. So, is there challenges and group 
um, feeding situations uh, in ensuring that you know there's uniformity of of uh, of delivery again I guess that applies whether you fortify the milk or not sure. like, but well you know my my critical thing with calves are consistency cleanliness and uh, cleanliness means low bacteria count most of our waste milk is going to be pretty high and very high in bacteria especially if we don't refrigerate it um, and and the other one is consistency and uh, if we start adding fortifying it we've got to do it very accurately so it's as consistent as possible from day to day inconsistency really there's where we run into some of the scour problems yeah I see so so you'd probably say that it's possible but you've got to be a bit yep. more cautious and a bit more careful if you go that approach yeah and I guess one final thing we might mention uh, Bob is um, colostrum practices I know there's been most farmers would be very well aware of the importance of, sure. of good colostrum there um, have you any kind of advice or comments on even that or even the kind of secondary colostrum then in the second and third yeah. uh, milkings or even the transition milk uh, is there any value in that or any thoughts on that yeah well let's just talk about colostrum and we all know we need to feed four liters and I think that's pretty standard uh, the thing I'd like to, re- to note that it should be clean and feed as early as possible. Uh, again, that colostrum that we might milk from the cow and we let it sit around for maybe a couple hours at room temperature is going to have high levels of bacteria. If we have a lot of bacteria in there, that it's not going to do the calf much good. It won't be absorbed very well. So that, that cleanliness, you've got to, to milk it and feed it. If you don't feed it right away, you have to cool it, and that doesn't mean sticking it in an old refrigerator because that takes a long time for it to cool down. So those are really, really critical things. So you're losing some of the quality of the colostrum. if Well, you're getting bacteria in there, and that interferes with absorption of the antibodies. Yeah. Now, you asked about seconds and thirds, we call it. And yeah, there's some real benefits to that. Um, we're finding out it has higher levels of some hormones some insulin lactoferrin and it actually stimulates the development of that gut tissue and it's pretty exciting yeah now the challenge is how do we do that practically on the farm of where course, yeah. we harvest that milk and we're able to feed it only to the baby calves and, and I have farms that do it but they have figured out a way to do it and, and it's a real big challenge to do it the first priority is get that first milk and then do them early as possible yeah yeah i guess even if everyone could could achieve that that would be a good start and then if you yep. feel like you wanted to explore those secondary yep. and, uh, and yep. seconds and thirds as you said uh, and the potential there that you know that could be could be looked at then um so yeah i guess it, uh, that's been a really good discussion bob um uh, if you want to briefly summarize kind of your, your thoughts for, for a moment before we, before we wrap up then. Well, you know, I, I think that probably the best advice is when you think of that calf, think of your children. And how, how close can I come to feeding that calf like I feed my kids? And yeah. uh, which means uh, enough milk to get them growing, enough clean milk to get them growing, and I want to meet their requirements for growth. And, uh, and I want to feed it as early, earlier as I can in their life. And that's a challenge, particularly when we're feeding twice a day or even once a day. But we've got to, we've got to achieve that um, to get those calves off to a good start. We're not going to play catch up later on. Yep. And I think that's, that's some of the biggest thing. And we've just got to do a great job with colostrum. The other one we haven't talked about is, is where the calf's born. You know, and, and I saw probably the, the ideal scenario is up in uh, northwestern Tasmania. And you look at those beautiful green pastures this time of the year. And 
oh my gosh, you know, that's probably the gold standard for where I'd want to be born if I was a cat. Yeah. Clean, beautiful, fresh air, absolutely, and but that's not always possible. So if we can't do that, then we have to fall back and say, how do we how do we keep it as clean as we can and, and as good an environment as we can so that you know, if the calf's born and the first thing it gets is a dirty teat or a, or some cow manure in the nose, we're going to be playing. We're going to be playing catch up there for a whole lot and, and struggling yeah. with those calves. Okay, all right. Well, uh, thank you very much, Bob, for your time. It was a real uh, pleasure to have you along and to discuss this topic with you. And I think you've got some, you know, some really detailed insights there and good yeah. value for everyone. So, um, thank you very much. Okay, it's my pleasure. Thanks to Dr. Bob James for those really useful insights into calf rearing and management. Don't forget to subscribe for future episodes of Dairy Pod on both SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Till next time, thanks for listening.